Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. How can a theme song be that simple, yet that catchy? Maybe that is why it's catchy, because it is so simple, and it and it welcomes us weekly to the steam room. Ernie Johnson, Charles Barkley. Chuck, how's your week? I think it's getting better. You know, I, I'm a positive person, uh, but I got a great first of all today. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, it's really it's really important. Well, I'm I'm not going to stand in the way because this is the way we begin uh, every show in the first in the in the first segment of the world's second most popular podcast uh, in the history of media. So here it is. First of all, what you got? I want everybody to just shut the hell up for 10 seconds. I want to do that, man. There's a lot of yelling and screaming. Man, just let's listen to everybody. Let's have a little respect for each other, uh, some understanding. All of a sudden, everybody want to yell. Everybody want to scream and get their point across. Nobody want to listen. Just shut the hell up, everybody, and says, hey, whether you white, black, rich, poor, Democrat, Republican, Jewish, Hispanic, woman, man, child, just ask somebody, hey, is there something that you, you want to tell me? Just have some respect for, for another person during this difficult time. You know, there might be somebody out there who's, who lost their job because of this pandemic. Uh, there might be somebody out there who, lo- who lost a relative to police brutality. Uh, There might be another person out there just got some stuff going on mentally or who lost a relative because of the COVID virus. But we're so busy yelling and screaming. And, you know, Dr. Phil has a great, great phrase that I love to use. He calls it being a a right fighter. I asked him about that one time. He says, some people, they just want to be right. They're going to just keep screaming. They're not going to listen to you. He calls them right fighters. And this is the perfect time not to be a right fighter. This is the perfect time to just, like, hey, you know what? Let me hear your point of view. And my girl, Judge Judy, said this. Are you hearing me or are you listening to me? But those are two different things. She says, you hear me, but you're not listening. 
And I just want to challenge everybody out there, man. Just take some time to talk to somebody and just listen to them. That's my first of all. Chuckster, you know what? That 10 seconds felt pretty darn good, man. Everybody just take a deep breath. Everybody just sit back for a second. Don't anybody talk. These are times where being a good listener is um, is what's required um, because everybody's got an opinion. I think it's more important often that we that we listen to somebody else's than that we are in a hurry to get ours out there. Yeah, and then it gets kind of lost in that sea of voices. But um, I like that man. I, I like that approach. That's pretty solid right there from you, Chuckster. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. We got a good show today, too. We got got a couple of guests who are going to be coming by. Uh, Chris Haynes from Yahoo covers the NBA. He's going to be he's going to be along. And from CNN, Don Lemon uh, will be joining us next to talk about what these days are like for a guy who comes into your homes every night on CNN. And uh, we'll all try to make sense of it. Don Lemon on the steam room next. We welcome you back inside the steam room. And as we like to tell all of our guests, please uh, keep the towel on and look at the towel worn by our next guest. Nice nice CNN logo. Looks like like the image of Ted Turner on there, but from CNN, Don Lemon. Joins us in the steam room. A very special gift. <laughs> it's a short towel. It's one of those little mini ones. <laughs> hey, you know. uh, it is it is great to to have you with us. And uh, man, I don't even know how you would best sum up uh, your job over the last. I would I would say the last two weeks, but I mean, from the pandemic through. Uh, through the protests in the streets. I mean, what is it like to be on the air on CNN at a time like this? Well, it's, um, it's challenging, yet it's empowering at the same time. Um, I, I, I sort of have a bit of, uh, of Charles Barkley in my DNA in that I always look for the, for, for the bright side of how we can, what's going to come out of this. And, um, I'm very conscious, conscious of what's going on and how dire it is. But I also keep thinking that's got, that's got to be better. Things have to get better. Um, what, what is going to, what's going to come out of this? So, Don, how many years you've been in the news? I've been, well, I've been doing the news since 1990. I've been in the news business since 91, I think, 1991, I think. You worked in Birmingham for a while, right? I did. Yeah. I did. But to, 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 to get back to you, it, it's, um, it's tough right now. I'm exhausted. I was exhausted from the, from the, the pandemic because we had been on air. I mean, I've worked seven days a week for, since March, I think. And then this thing happened, and so I started working seven days a week, but then I'd have to work in the afternoon sometimes and fill in for breaking news. And then this is just emotional to see anybody dying. I mean, we actually saw people, two people die on camera. You know, we saw Maude Arbery get shot died on camera and then we see George Floyd die on camera with someone with their knee on the neck and then you and then I have to um, I have to talk about it all day every day and most people don't have to do that you can just flip the TV off when you're ready 
right? Put your phone down when you don't want to read anymore. And I can't do that. So, I mean, honestly, I've been, uh, it's, it's been tough. And I hope my colleagues are doing what I do and, and talking to their therapists as much as they can during the week. Hey, uh, you know, I told Ernie last week, I said, you're a black man just like me. I said, man, it is stressful being a black man, especially when you're on television in any shape because and you, uh, you just alluded to it, like the young man, Aubrey, killed in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. We, the, 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 the crazy white lady in New York. And now you got Mr. Floyd. Like, it's exhausting having to talk about, defend, make people listen. Uh, do you feel that pressure like I do? I do feel the pressure because, you know, we always feel like we, always feel like we have to represent the race, right? And, and, I, and I don't know if that's fair or not, but it is what it is. And we feel that pressure. Um, so, yeah, I do. But it's also very personal because you see yourself in those people. You know, and Ahmaud Aubrey, I saw, I'm a, you know, we live in this HGTV society now, right? I, that's what I love to do. Wherever I move, whatever city, when I was in Atlanta, redo my house, right? You want to you you make it your own. And, and, it, and it's a way, in a way, it's kind of an escape because, you know, from the realities of, of your job. So I go on properties all the time. My fiance is in real estate. We go on property and look at, you know, if there's a sale sign or for property company, we go look. So I can relate to that. I can relate to being a jogger. I can relate to being in the park, Christian Cooper, you mentioned. And, you know, people thinking that they can say whatever, whatever they want to you. Um, and then, of course, I can relate to being pulled over by the police and interactions that I've had with the police. And then, you know, until recently when they, when I became somebody, right, they treat you a certain way. And even until they, sometimes until they realize it, like they don't realize it and they see the lights and they go, Oh, you're the guy on CNN. So, and and then to have the funerals play out, my sister died recently and, you know, Charles thinking, cause you always, every time something happens, you always reach out and I had to give part of the eulogy. And so I can relate to that. I can't imagine having to go through these things publicly in front of the whole world. So, yes, I relate as a human being more than anything. But as a black man, I see portions of myself and my family in it. And then I'm there reporting it. It's, it's unbelievable. Can I, can I tell you one story? I was the, the night I was broadcasting from my home studio, the night everything was on fire. Right. I think this was a bunker night. The White House was going, you know, they were starting trash can fires and trying to get and fight. And then on the West Coast, there was a fire and riots and whatever. And I'm sitting in my home studio by myself. And I'm like, it was almost as if I was, it was some weird twilight zone kind of thing where it was me against the world. I'm like, is anybody watching? Is anybody out there watching? Our country is on fire. It's in chaos. Help. And it was almost as if I was like in a twilight zone movie that I was reporting on like the end of the world. It's just, it's just, crazy it's just it's crazy that's all i can tell you don when when you were in school so you went you started lsu correct i did you were and i don't know if how much broadcasting studies you did there or if that was more at brooklyn college but no, i did it i did it there my my chief my journalism journalism teacher told me at lsu that i would never make it as a journalist yeah well well take that <laughs> uh but um you know what, because I was at the University of Georgia, and that was before, you know, that was in the 
in the 70s. Um, you know, I graduated in 78. But I think, you know, I remember being at J school and you're, you know, you're taught news guy, got to play right down the middle, your objective. Mm -hmm. You don't even say, you don't even stress a number because it's going to sound like you're surprised that it's this many or that you can't, you know, you cannot emote and you cannot uh, take a side and it's all got to be right down the middle. But it's yeah. just change, man. I mean, I assume you heard those same kind of things when you were in J school. Of course, you have and, to be. Yeah, you got to be objective. So, what's your yeah. question about how it's changed? Yeah, it was, yeah, how it's changed, and the fact that yeah, I mean, you're on a, you know, when I look at you and I look at Fox and I look at look, it, it's opinion. It, yeah. it, nobody, nobody's trying to hide their opinion. Well, here's the thing. I prefer what I do to you know for how I lean in as a point of view and not an opinion because I always get facts. My my my, my thing is always based in fact. It's not based in conspiracy theory, um, and I don't make up things about people. And I give you, this is my point of view is my point of view. We all come with a point of view, but just to be honest with you, it's not 1978 anymore. It's not even, it's not even 2000. No, right. seriously, it's not even 2008. It's not even 2018. I mean, things are different now. It used to be that the anchor man was sort of this, this character that you could just um, cast whatever uh, opinion that you thought that they might be like on, right? They were just sort of a whiteboard that you could just make it, whatever. It's just this guy who sat there. Well, in the advent of social media and just and, and 24-hour media, that's, that's not how it is anymore. And also within journalism, there are different roles. If I had Lester Holt's job, I would be a much more straightforward news guy because I'm sitting there every night doing a good evening, welcome to Nightly News, blah, 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 blah. Here's a story. I brought this reporter's here. Boom. Come back. Right. Thank you, Rob. And then you go to the next story. That's right. not my role. My role is to sit there for however many hours I'm on and have a conversation with the viewer and inform them. So I'm, I have to fill time almost as if I'm a radio show or like you guys do when you're uh, doing your sports show or, or you're doing a play-by-play. -play. My role is different and I can lean in and give a point of view. But you also have to remember, Ernie, the times that we're in right now when journalism is under attack. We're not dealing with a normal situation right now. We're dealing with people who attack journalists, they attack reality, they attack truth. And many times when, when you are giving the truth and telling the truth about someone, it may look like you are either giving your opinion or partisan because the truth isn't on the, that side. So if I say the person lied, they're going to say, oh, you're just a big liberal. And I'll go, no, no, no. What you actually did was a, what you said was a lie. Oh, you're just a conservative. No, what you actually said was a lie. And you're deflecting. So. I'm not giving an opinion, I'm giving facts many times, but the people out there who are steeped in ideology or they have some sort of reason to discount what I'm saying will say that I'm partisan or giving an opinion because they don't like the fact that I'm spitting at them. You know, you look at our president and when the rioting and, loot, the rioting and looting is going on, I mean, and peaceful protests, um, he's talking about is skinheads in the mix, Antifa's in the mix. Number one, how do you prove that? But how do you as a journalist, I mean, how do you answer that question? What, about who's in there and who's... Listen, I, when it's going on in the moment, I don't know. I'm sitting here just like... I'm sitting in the moment just like you I'm when I'm live, if you're talking about when I'm live. Um, and I have to rely on producers to give me information. But in the aftermath of that, when you've had time to to um, do some research, 
then you, I mean, just like anything else, you do your research. There is very little evidence, if none, there may be no evidence that there is Antifa or anybody in those crowds or skinheads. Uh, there's more evidence that, that, that there were right-wing extremists in the crowd because they've been arrested. And that's not to say that other people aren't in the crowd, but at this juncture, no one else has been arrested. No one else has been charged. So the only people who've been charged is this white, this right-wing group who, who has, who, who started causing chaos. We can see that there are anarchists out there. I think that's definitely true. There are people there just to start trouble and who knows what they're from. But as far as Antifa, and, and the moment you try to describe Antifa, people say, oh, you're defending Antifa. It's not it. It is this disparate group that doesn't really have a leader. And so it's easy to cast, easy to say Antifa. Like it's easy to say unmasking, or it's easy to say the new Black Panthers. It's easy to say Acorn because it sounds scary, right? It, it sounds spooky or, or, or ominous. But we don't really know if Antifa is in the crowd. We don't really, people don't really know where the Antifa is. And I don't think Antifa even knows what Antifa is. And I think it's just, I think it's fair to say that there are anarchists, left-wing anarchists, right-wing anarchists, all kinds of anarchists out there. But to put a name on it and say it's definitely this one group, I don't think we have the evidence yet. It could be, but at this juncture, we don't, we do not have that evidence and it doesn't show that. That's just a sort of a boogeyman that the president and conservative media make up because they need that for the audience and they need that for their um, for their supporters. You know, Don, when you when you talk about how relentless this job has been recently for you, um, that really rang home to me because I know my wife and I. There are times when we say, "Turn it off." I just can't yep. take any more right now. Yep. You know, I just can't. You know, because we are trying to stay up to the minute. I mean, we, I mean, we've watched you guys and Chris and everybody nonstop. And, and then it's, I just can't, I can't take anymore. And so I can imagine you having to say, you don't have that option of saying, I can't take anymore. But is there, with all the hours that you've been putting in, what have you seen that's given you hope? Um, I see people like you and Charles. I see people like me and Chris Cuomo who don't look like each other, who come from very different backgrounds, um, may not have even hung out when we were kids. Who knows? Actually having real conversations and leaning on our friendship, leaning, not, not leaning on, leaning into our friendship because we know the importance of this moment and what it means right now. I see young people out there of all different ethnicities and they they are pulling us into the future that they want into the into the the present that that they want for this country and into the future they don't want people dying at the hands of police they don't want um racism they're sick of it and in many ways let's be honest they don't want a lot of what we created and it, maybe the times were changed, the times were different, or, or I'm not sure. But they thought, they, I think those young people think like, hey, you guys have been kind of going with the status quo and just inching along and trying to make things better, but you haven't really for everyone. And it's, this is 2020 and it's time. We don't, we don't want the racism. We don't want the police brutality. We want criminal justice reform. 
Um, with they're, they're sick of the ideology, the, the far left and the far right. They're over it. They want a better world, and they're out there screaming. They told you peacefully. Mm-hmm. They even some even tried to take a knee. Nobody listened, and now they're saying, okay, you you got to hear us. So that actually makes me optimistic that those people, those young people are leaders. I may not agree 100% with the way they do it, but their passion and that they're actually out there and they want to change, I can't, I can only respect that. Now, I'm not talking about the looters and the rioters. That's a whole different thing. I'm talking about the kids who, who want, who want what's right. You know, in your business right now, the president of the United States says something or does something every single day that y'all have to talk about. How frustrating is that? Because I know we all live in the moment, but I can't remember going back to Clinton, Bush's, Reagan, President Obama, all of them. I can't, like, I don't remember them having to say or do something every single day where you don't get a day off. You just, you have to talk about it every single day. It's crazy. It's crazy. And, you know, Ernie, you said, I watched you doing, you know, talking about me during COVID and, you know, the pandemic. But my schedule has been this way and it just keeps getting crazier. I'm, a, you know, I'm ripping off of what Charles said. Since this guy came down the escalator, I was supposed to do one hour at night at 10 o'clock, four nights a week, Monday through Thursday. And then on Friday, some sort of CNN documentary, Anthony Bourdain, something was going to run in that spot. Trump came down that escalator. My show became five nights a week. And then he started with the, um, I prefer heroes who aren't captured. And then just kept going on and on and on and on and on. And then my show became two hours, five nights a week, sometimes six or seven, since 2015. And I, I mean, that's a lot to take in live information. And then sometimes I'm on air longer than that because news will break. Like he will say, um, you can grab him by the pee. When they're star, they'll make you. I was on the air till two or three in the morning that night. And there have been other nights like that. This is... So fast forward to now, Charles. Now you have COVID and, and all of this other police stuff on top of that. And whatever breaking news, whatever news might break. It is exhausting. And Ernie, the, the American people are exhausted. Every day the president does something or says something crazy. And sometimes things that the president will say, he'll attack me or attack someone. Just say, and we, we just... We don't even pay attention anymore because it's just crazy. If the president, if Barack Obama had said something about me or tweeted or said something in a press conference, everyone would be like, wait, what? The president said something? Oh my God, I can't believe the president criticized you. It'd be a big news story. Now the president tweets about you and I don't even read it. I just go, <laughs> oh, someone will say, the president tweeted about you. And I go, oh yeah, well, so today is Thursday. So what's the big deal? Because... He is, in many ways, he's worn us out and worn us down, except for he hasn't worn us down um, to not tell the truth and to fact check him. But Ernie, aren't you exhausted? Charles, aren't you exhausted? Yes. It's information overload. You used to be able to be informed without being inundated. I don't know if that's possible anymore. 
because there's so much going on. No, there are, it's, it's true. There are a lot of voices and there's, um, and it's like this topic is going to be discussed all day and you hear from countless voices on it. And then it's, and, and again, from your perspective, it's like, you can be sitting there right now having no idea what your lead story is going to be tonight. Whereas in years past, you might say, well, I have a pretty good idea that we're going to lead with yep. this because, but yep. now it's like, shoot, let me know what, let me know what 958, you know, you know, what we're going to, what we're going to lead with. And that's happened. Yeah. I'll, I'll be walking to the studio and, um, my producer, like, I'm like, why are you calling me? I'm like, I'm in the studio. I just saw you 30 seconds ago. And then she goes, the president just tweeted he's sending truth to blah, blah, blah. I'm just making yeah. something up. And you're like, oh, God. Right. Or you'll be, I'll be in the open of the show. And I used to, we used to run, you know, the, there used to be like an animation, like, and in the animation, they'll, she'll say, stop. And I'll go, uh oh. And they'll, she'll say, blank the prompter. And then I'm just talking. And then, yeah. you know, you guys wear your pieces. And they'll say breaking news and I'll say breaking news and she'll say the president just blah. And I'll say the president, and I repeat what she said. And then she goes, now go with prompter. I mean, that happens all the time. Right. So it's, and, but that's where we are. It used to be, you know, you can figure out your show. This is the lead show at this time. We're going to have this guest. We're going to have this guest. Now we have to make sure that we have guests who can speak on just about anything in case there's breaking news. Have you had a chance to talk to Robin D'Angelo? I don't think I have. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Because I'm I'm reading that right now because her book White Fragility came out in eighteen. My wife uh, is an avid reader, and 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 she's the one who said you got to read this. I'm early on in it, and it is pretty fascinating. And it is and and if you Chuckster, I don't know if you've heard about this book, and because she's been interviewed a lot um, recently. But just talking about why are white people so afraid to talk about racism? Well, why, Ernie? I don't. Yeah, because it makes you. I don't. I don't know. It's. It's like. Um, well, I'm not. And, and you say, well, I'm not a racist, so I can. And and that's part of the thinking that's so flawed, is that well, I haven't done anything. I haven't done anything outwardly that's or or compared to this person. You know, it does. It makes you defensive. And I say, and I just I love the fact that she wrote that book because you know what you're right, it does. You know if if, if she says every all white Americans are racist, oh well maybe they are but not me. You do you raise that it you get this defensive posture and that's why I'm loving reading the book because I'm not afraid to read it. I, I want to learn about this. I want to know why something that I may consider to be innocent maybe is offensive to somebody else or maybe just contributes to the problem? Well, I think it's a couple of things personally. I think, number one, it's painful for white people to talk about slavery. Uh, I, that's just my, I like, we treated people like that. I think that's a tough conversation. Every now and then when you're in school, they say, whatever, well, slavery. And then, hey, uh, they go to the next subject. Like, no, slavery, slavery was a big deal. And I think it's hard for white America to talk about slavery. Let's get to the 60s. Like, wait, we don't even want to use the bathroom with you. Then we got segregated schools. Like, all these white people, they had nothing to do with it. They might have benefited from it. Might have. But they had, no, <laughs> they had nothing to do with it. But they have to acknowledge slavery happened. They have to acknowledge the 60s. And I think it's a lot for them to handle because... Even if they aren't racist, 
they have to first admit they benefited from the system. But that's hard to talk about saying, man, we treated y'all like crap and we're behind in every phase of life. And it's a tough conversation. Uh, and I'm not saying, like I say, I'm not saying who's right or who's wrong. I don't judge other people. But like, I'm going to say, like, listen, that's a hard conversation for, for white people to have. Yeah, and, and Don, I know you've, you're on a tight schedule. I know you only got a couple of minutes. Let's give you the last word on this, please. Um, and, and again, thank you so much for, for hanging with us for, uh, for this afternoon, man. We appreciate you. Let me just say this. Um, I asked you that. I asked you why you think, why is it so hard? Obviously, because, uh, because you're white. And I think there's a lot of white guilt going around right now. Um, and I think it's because no one wants to be called a racist, right? It's hard to, to admit that you have a racial blind spot. But my answer or that, that you have any sort of bias in you, whether it's, you know, unconscious or whatever. My response to that is, how could you not be racist growing up in America, right? Considering where we've come from, how could you not be racist? We all are. And, and let me explain that because every, every year, I don't know if you guys garden, my hydrangeas come back, they'll be a different color, right? The tulips, the um, orchid. And you know why they're a different color? It's because of what you put in the soil. It's because of what the concentration mm -hmm. of the soil. It has nothing to do with the plant. The plant's the same thing. We're all the same thing. But it depends on where you were raised and how you were brought up. So if you were brought up in America in a system where the default is whiteness, which is, inherent, which is inherently biased, so the culture is centered around you. That's the normal. The factory reset is for normal in America is whiteness. And so how could you not be, be racist considering the way that you grew up and, and our history and that you don't learn about black history and true history in, in schools when we, grow, when we grow up? So I think we should stop saying, stop being so defensive and saying we're not racist and say we are. And what do we do about it? And how do we fix that in some way, maybe take the stigma off the term so that we can actually deal with the problem because we all have some degree of bias in us. Right. And if you're a white person and you're in America and you're the, have been the preeminent voice and you see all of a sudden change starts to happen, that little rumble underneath your feet can feel like discrimination or an earthquake when it's actually balancing out. And, um, and it's just, leveling the playing field. So I understand why, like Charles, when you said, I understand why some people are scared, nervous. If, if, if I was an older white person and I saw all of this stuff and I'd be like, wow, the world has certainly changed around me. Oh my God, look how much the world is changing. I fear, fear, fear. And then someone comes along and they play on that fear. Look, those people are taking your stuff. It's all free and, and, and we're gonna take our country back. That works. Because what do you want things to be the way they were? Things are never gonna be the way they were. Ever. The world is good. Those, those young people that are out there on the street, they're fighting to change the world. It is not going back to where it was. It is, coal is ne never coming back. People are making, and not unless you're making a cell phone. So people have to change. And that, that's the whole point of our country, is not to stay stagnant. It's not to be leave it to beaver. The people who, who wrote our constitution were very smart. A more perfect union 
That's not a perfect. You can never reach perfect, but more perfect, which means you keep striving in this American experiment. And that means that you keep bringing other people in. So the more people who keep coming into this country and the, the, the more we evolve, it's never going to be the way it was. And so people just need to get used to that. Otherwise, you're going to get left behind. Well said. Yeah, it's perfect. Well said, my brother. Way to finish us off. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time. I love your relationship. I love your friendship. You are an example of what people should be doing. You guys have great conversations. You fight like family because family really fight. They And they insult each other. You ever been to a family thing and, and all oh, yeah. of a sudden you're like, how did this fight break out? And then 20 minutes later, you're having a drink and you're like, oh, shit, you used to do that in high school. Wow. <laughs> That's, right. That's how real people who love each other have conversations. I love that you do that. Chris and I do that. And that's what America should be doing. Uh, Don, here's to putting something in the soil that uh, that grows a nation that we all want. OK, yeah. and I, I appreciate you. Appreciate your perspective. And uh, we'll be watching, man. Thank you, Don. Lemon. Take care, man. Thank you guys so much. Take care. Be in touch. Ernie, come on the show. I'm going to come on you guys' show. All right, anytime. I got you. Hey, we'd, lo we'd love to have you, man. Thank you. Back here on the Steam Room, uh, the second most popular podcast in the history of media. And again, uh, we encourage all of our guests to keep their towels on as they as they enter the steam room. And look who's look who's coming to the steam room now, Chuckster. It's Chris Haynes. Special guest, Mr. Haynes. He's from Yahoo, and he's also from Tuesday TNT nights working the sidelines. Chris, good to see you, man. How are you? I'm doing all right. It's a little, a little hot now that I stepped in the steam room. You know, perspiring <laughs> around here a little bit, but I'm yeah. doing good, guys. Thanks for having me on. We're going to talk a little NBA with you to start off with, at least. So, I, like I was talking to Mello yesterday on, on this NBA Together series that we do and had a great talk with him. And when we talked about hoop, he said, physically, he's ready to go. Can't wait to play. And he, but then he was like, but I'm still kind of up in the air about the whole Orlando thing. How widespread is the like concern on the players' part at this point about going down to Orlando to resume? There's concerns in, in a lot of different degrees, and a lot of different levels. The vote was was made in by the player association. It was last week um, that they agreed with the the owners' format, 22 team format, to go out there and restart the season. But you know, there's some players out there who felt like everybody should have been able to vote, and I, I think there's a little bit of a disconnect there uh, with just with how the system is run there with the players and the player association because that's the player reps' job. 30, there's 30 player reps. It's their job to grab, you know, gather the intel from their teams. And, and then from that standpoint, gauge the feeling and then take it back to the committee. And then that's the way it's handled. And, and I think a lot of players, well, I know a lot of players out there, they felt like, dang, okay, so they just voted just to send us out back out there. Why wasn't every player afforded the right to vote? on whether the season should restart or not. And so, yeah, there's definitely concern out there um, with players, uh, you know, trying to decide on if they're going to go. Uh, I don't know. I, I think this might be the time where we may see some some injuries popping up, you know, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, some season-ending injuries just start popping up in the next couple of weeks because, you know, they're a little bit hesitant or fearful of going over there to the Orlando bubble. So there's cause for concern. I, I expect that we'll hear more. Uh, from players on this side, you know, the coming weeks. Adam didn't answer my question good the other night because, you know, when we had him, because 
we ran out of time because he said if a player tests positive, they're going to take him out of competition. And then we had to go. I'm saying, no, 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 because you got to take the whole team out, don't you? And you got to take the team they were playing against. I would like to hear the NBA con- say more about that. Because I had about 15 people call me after, after the show. They're like, yo, man, Adam didn't give you no good answer. He said, <laughs> if a guy tests positive, we're going to take him out. And I'm like, whoa. And TNT was pissing me off. Y'all rushed us off the air so he go watch Jack Reacher for the 175th time. <laughs> I, I really would like them to tell me how they're going to do that. I don't see, but here's the thing, and Chris, you can weigh in too, but maybe it, I don't know that they know. I mean, I think that there's still research in that, and they're probably still talking to medical experts. And I think that's probably why you didn't get a full answer on that. I heard it. And that's one of the reasons about we go back to your original question with uh, Carmelo. Right, that they're up in the air. Yeah. I think every player is going to, like you said, they don't know the answer. But I think some of these players, especially teams that know they can't win it. Yeah. Uh, teams that, like, like I know, I mean, we know the Lakers and the Clippers and the Bucks, like they're the three clear cut favorites. But if you don't want these other teams and you're like, hey, you know what? They ain't gave me the answer I want to hear. I'm not playing. And the other thing we heard, too, Chris, is, hey, do you want to be the one telling Greg Popovich uh, because of your age, uh, you can't coach this game from the bench. You're going to have to be over here. You want to tell Pop? Yeah, I'll leave that to Adam Silver. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll say this early to your point, you know, about, like, does the NBA even know? Do they have a protocol in place yet? And you saying, and you saying the case may be that they just don't know. They don't have the answers. Well, if that's the case, we don't know if that is. But if it is the case, then was it too soon to say we were starting the season? Like, shouldn't we have all of that information out there? Shouldn't we know the steps, the protocol before we say we're going to play? I don't know if they do know the protocol or not. But I will say, you know, to Chuck's point about you know, players, you know, who do test positive over the course of time. What if that player is LeBron James, is Giannis Antetokounmpo? You know, are we really just going to send them away and quarantine them and keep play going on? You know, that that kind of – that's going to ruin the season for a lot of these teams if one of their key guys goes out. And I'll say in my last point to your original question, Ernie, about – just are players ready? I, look, there, there are a lot of high-profile players that I know who took it easy during this pandemic because they didn't believe the season was going to come back. And so now they've kind of been amping up their, their training. But, you know, maybe Chuck can answer this. I don't know how much training they really need to get back to the level that they need to play at come the end of July. So, you know, this has just caught a lot of people off guard and still continues to do so. Uh, I think they're going to have plenty of time, but Hey, man, I'm telling you, this thing is scary. And you see, you know, that was the one thing. You see that, that the cases are spiking again around the country. Oh, the two, Chuck. Yeah, and, and, what's, and, and what scares me also, Ernie, with, with all these protests, and I didn't even think about this, I saw a doctor on CNN said he's expecting a huge spike because, number one, none of these protesters were uh, practicing social distance. But he said the biggest problem he had when they were putting tear gas on these guys, everybody took their mask off and was breathing and coughing on each other. I never even thought about that. He says he looked at in several cities when they were shooting tear gas at these protesters, 
everybody was standing together coughing. I mean, so I'm like, I never even thought about that. So I expect this thing to spike some more. Shifting away from the NBA for a second, Chris, as the uh, father of four daughters, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and God bless you for that, because, and look, I've got some daughters too, and I know that from different ages, you know, they can be really adorable at that age, or they can, uh, it can be your best friend, or or you can be like the guy who doesn't understand anything. And so I, I know the road you're traveling, but with the road the nation is traveling right now, what kind of conversations have you had with them? It's been an experience that, you know, I, I didn't think will come to fruition in this capacity. You know, they're asking a lot of questions. And and I think why this, as it pertains to the George Floyd tragedy, I, I think why there's a lot of uproar from not just people of color, not just black people, but all walks of life is because of this, this pandemic we're in. You know, people are losing their jobs. People are dying. People are stuck in their homes. And so there's frustration and then they're forced to see this incident because we're at home. We, we don't have anything to do. And so, you know, just explaining the dynamic to them. My, I have my oldest daughter, then my 16-year-old daughter. She's the little, I want to call her, she's the little Harriet Tubman of the family. Like, we we, we went out and um, marched uh, where we're at here in the San Jose area of Fremont. We went March Saturday. And I wasn't going to go, you know, because I really hadn't been out the house aside from camp. And I wasn't going to go. But my, my daughter, six-year-old, she was just adamant that she'd get out there. And I was like, man, if my my little baby's going out. I got to go. Like, I got to at least go and, you know, check on her and see how everything is. And what I'm learning, Ernie, and I think this is what happened in the civil rights movement um, back in the day is that it's being mostly ran, especially over here, by young folks. You know, I'm talking like 22, 23 and under. And so, you know, just just using this as a teaching moment and understanding that, look, there are ways to go about it. Um, they're protesting in March because we're going through Chuck and Ernie. We we going through some marches, and I'm yeah I'm, I'm just gonna keep it real. And we're going to these protesters, and and there's a there's a lot of people of all walks of life in these marches, and the ones that's not black, I'm noticing in the, in the march that we were at, you know, we're going by marching by police officers, and it's f the police, f the police. We're like, hold on, that look look, you know, I mean like. This is a Black Lives Matter peaceful movement, peaceful march. You know, we're not trying to send that message. You know what I mean? Like this is supposed to be a call for peace and for everybody to come together. And, you know, I'm just trying to explain and explain to my daughters that we have to understand it's, it's, not, it's, it's good to go out there and, pro, you know, if you want to protest and march, but make sure we do it in a civilized manner. We don't want to let our emotions and anger cloud your judgment and what you do. And so it, it, it's tough. I'm learning a lot still as we go on. But, uh, you know, in a, in a lot a lot of realms, my, my daughters are teaching me a, probably a lot more. And this comes from a man covering the Blazers years ago, talking to a co-worker on the phone at night and not wanting to wake the kids. And then you're getting questioned about what you're doing, what, 15, 20 feet away from your house? And and you got, I mean, you got cuffed, you got arrested, right? Yeah. I read your article and listened to your story about this latest march and saying this is not about saying F the police. But if there's a guy who would say, I got a case for saying this, you go back to that night when, for some reason, you got arrested. Yeah. Well, I mean, that for people that don't know, that was, God, I can't remember what year that was. 
2012 or 13. But yeah, I was in front. I had just moved into this house in, in the Portland area. I was I was there for probably about a week. And across the street from my house is the, the railroad track. And it was approaching free agency. And so it was, it was getting close to July 1. And when I when I talk on the phone, I pace a lot. And so you guys know when, when July 1 comes, you know, it's midnight. Well, on the West Coast, midnight time is like, you know, we're getting started. So I'm talking. I can't remember who I was talking to, you know, talking to a bunch of story. I mean, sources and getting ready for free agency. And I decided to go outside it's around 10 o'clock, go outside to the um, I go up by the train track and I'm in the gravel area. You know, there's a gravel area that separates the, the road from the actual where the railroad's at. So I'm in that area just pacing back and forth. And so, I, you know, I, look, when I'm not dressed in a suit and work, you know, I wear, you know, I wear a tank top, some shorts, you know, I dress casual like, you know, anybody else. So I'm on the phone and I see a cop uh, kind of slow down. He's on the opposite side of the street. It's a one-way street. And he kind of slows down to, like, see who I am. And then he just takes off and speeds up. And so then I, I'm talking to my, oh, is I do know I was talking to my, my producer at the time, Peter Sokot. So I'm telling him about the stories I'm working. And so I told him, I said, hey, man, I think this cop's going to come and kind of question me because he just sped up and he busted U-turn. So sure enough, the cop comes over, flashes the high beams on me and and just automatically just questions, why, why am I here? You're in a private property. I'm like, okay, well, you know, my house is right here. So I just go across the street back home. He was like, nah, let me see your ID. And so I'm like, for, for what officer? What, what for? He's like, you're in a um, private property. Then 10 seconds later, two other cars show up, cop cars showed up. And it kind of escalated from that point. And I was like, is this necessary? So he sits me on the curb, just, you know, just ask me, question me, what am I doing here? What am I drinking? What am I? I'm like, what are you talking about? And I got to the point, I said, man, y'all, this is, this is ridiculous, whatever. At that point, he, handcuffs me, my phone drops. So I yell to my producer when the phone dropped, hey, call my wife, call my wife. Come on, because my wife doesn't know what's going on. She's in the house. And they, you know, handcuffed me. And and I could tell this officer was trying to really agitate me to provoke me to do something because he was, I'm not the most limber person. And so when he was trying to cuff me, he was like, stop resisting, stop resisting. And I'm like, officer, do your job. I'm not resisting. Do your job. And so he gets in, he puts me in the car and he looks at my ID. Like, what do you do for a living? First time he asked me, I'm like, I'm a sports reporter. He's a sports reporter. So I'm in handcuff in the back of the car. And he, and I see he, he goes on his phone. He's sitting in the front seat. He goes on his phone, still in the front of my house. Wife still doesn't know what's going on. He goes in, goes, checks on my phone, Googles my name. He looks, and I guess he saw who I was, saw different pictures and videos he turns the music up in the car, turns it blasted loud. Then he steps out the vehicle. And I could tell he went to call somebody and say, hey, I picked up such and such. This is who he is. But at that time, it was too late for him to release me. He, he knows he, he knew he did something wrong. At this time, my wife came out saying, what's going on? And then he basically said, your husband's being arrested for trespass. I was in custody for about six hours. Got out probably about three in the morning, took my court. I got off the ju- you know, judge said that the, the officer was wrong in doing so. And I was um, racially profiled and all that stuff. And, and I had no criminal history whatsoever. There was no reason for it to escalate to that point. And Ernie and Chuck, this is my last thing. I, you know, I, um, 
I, when I wrote that story, just to shine light on what, what can happen to people of color in those situations, I did not put the officer's name in there, in that story. And I regret doing that. And, you know, I told my story and I felt like this would be good to shine some light to say this could happen to anybody. But I feel like I let that cop off the hook, man. At some point, I may revisit that. But uh, I don't know what happened to the cop. I don't know if he was um, reprimanded at all. I don't know if he's still with the force or whatever. But, uh, you know, I left him out. I thought about suing at the time. I didn't sue because I didn't want my career to look bad. Like, Because, you know, you're taught as a journalist, stay out of the news. You know, it's not about you. Cover it. And so I didn't want to sue the police department, even though I felt they should have been sued. But, you know, that, that that's my story. And, you know, that was that was one of my brushes. I appreciate you sharing it, man. I do. You know, man, this is such a crazy time in our lives. Obviously, we got the death of Mr. Floyd and also we got this pandemic. Uh, this is the craziest time and sadness and anger, hopefulness. I got a lot of things going on in my head right now. I thought that un- until this other stuff happened, I thought the pandemic was the worst thing that happened in my life, you know, because I-, I just feel for the people, because there's people out here who are never going to get their job back. They're going to lose their businesses. They're going to lose their houses. And, I- and you got to have empathy and sympathy for people. And that's the one thing that I, I, I when I, I try to tell people, man, just try to walk in another man's shoes. Just listen. I hate that people, like, well, uh, all black people are thugs. All white people are racist. Nah, man, I'm never going to be in that place where I, where I got a dark soul. I'm like, I'm going to judge every person by their own actions. And I hope everybody is capable of doing that at this difficult time because, man, we need, uh, we need real people to handle real problems. We can't trust the media to tell us how to be left-wing, right-wing, conservative, liberal. We just got to have respect for humanity, man. And Ernie, I'm glad you wore the shirt again. It's my uniform, Chuckster. Yeah, be a better human, man. Well said, Chuckster. And Chris, thanks for uh, thanks for hanging with us for a while, man. We appreciate you. And um, keep being a great dad to those four daughters, man. That's awesome. Keep it up, Daniel Boone. <laughs> Chuck, Ernie, man, no, it was an honor to be on you guys' pod, man. I wish you guys, you know, nothing but success in this platform, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. Real talk. Hopefully uh, we bump into you one of these days, man. Thank you, Chris. Uh, no doubt. Y'all take care. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate you. You know, Ernie, uh, he does a fantastic job. For a father to take four women camping. <laughs> Daniel Boone. That's a father right there. Yep. At, th- at those ages, too, man. Uh, oh, goodness. That's hard work right there. Welcome back to the steam room, kind of to wrap things up. We should point out, however, Charles, for those of you who kind of have your week planned around what TK says, you know, the longtime producer of Inside the NBA, uh, you have your week planned around what he's going to say on the steam room. Uh, TK not appearing this week, graciously surrendering his time, 
has such good conversations with Don Lemon and Chris Haynes that for the sake of time, TK has once again taken one for the team. What a guy. What a guy. You need those on a team, don't you, Chuckster? Hey, he's the producer? Yeah. Every time I'm just seeing him walking around. I didn't know he had a job. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, TK. Um, here's a telephone number that you need to commit to memory, folks. 404 987 I wish we had a catchy jingle, but... 404-987-0330. That's Chuck's answering machine. If you have that number, you got something to say, you can call it, and we might put you on just like this. You've reached Charles Barkley. Leave a message, America. Charles and Ernie, it's Stav from Australia. Just call him because I know you and your Turner team and many people that you care about are doing it tough in America. You guys helped us when we had our bushfires. So tell us how we can help you now that it's the other way around. Every week I have a key message that I give to the sales team I work with, and this week that message was inspired by last week's steam room. Charles saying we need to look beyond color and earn any sentiment to be a better human. I said to my team that while we need to understand our differences to generate compassion and empathy for one another, we also must understand our similarities and see ourselves as humans first. Sending you guys nothing but love and positivity, your mate down under and loyal steamer, Stav. That's awesome. You know, man, it, it makes you feel good because obviously we're getting beat to death right now with just negativity and anger and frustration and sadness and grief. But man, you've seen a lot of good stuff out here too. I mean, you see all these young black kids and white kids walking together, trying to change the world. You know, to, to piggyback on this point, though, man, just treat like just treat people better. Like, yeah, we got different skin colors, but I, I want the same things. You know, you just want a good family, a good house, a good job, a good neighborhood. Everybody wants the same thing, and you don't have to take mine to get yours or vice versa. But just acknowledge people. I mean, that's all. See what it is that you can do to try to ensure that other people have that opportunity, too. And when you see something wrong, you can't be silent and say, well, it wasn't my fault. You have to say, this is wrong. What can we do about it? And and so I think, you know, to have somebody like Stav, who's been calling us on a regular basis and and kind of sharing what we talk about here with his co-workers there, it does shrink the world a little bit. That's a good it thing. It does. That's Thank you, Stav. You demand, Stav. Thanks. Next. Yes, sir. Charles Barkley. Mr. Charles Barkley. This is uh, Dex from Texas. And I just want to thank you guys for what you do. Thank you for using your platform for the benefit of others, um, whether it's on the Inside the NBA show or your podcast. Uh, you understand you have a platform and it's something that should be used, um, not just for yourself and your own brand and, and and blessing, but also for others. So thank you for that example. Uh, keep it up. Charles, this is my question. You are on a great team called the Dream Team. We know y'all can get down on the court, but who can get down on the dance floor? Which <laughs> member of the Dream Team is the best dancer and who can boogie with the best of them? All right, take care. God bless. I like a question that starts kind of with a social message and a thank you and then, and then transitions right into a, a question for which I cannot wait for the answer. Go ahead, Chuck. 
That's a, one of the best questions I've ever been asked before. I got to tell you, though, Ernie. It's not I you. I don't know. Definitely not me. It's uh, not David Robinson. It's definitely not David Robinson or Magic or Larry Bird. And listen, I honestly don't know if any of those guys can dance. I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> I really don't know if any of those guys can actually dance. I mean, because you know they're going to do the, like this here, that little move your head and shake your body a little bit. Yeah. But I don't think any of the guys, like that was my move right there. Oh, yeah. Go roll with it. But you know I don't think any of the guys can dance. Mine's mine's more of the uh, from Hitch, you know, when it's like. Uh, uh, well, keep it right here. Keep yeah. it right here. This is where you live. Yeah, that's what, yeah. <laughs> I don't need any pizza. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I know. So you really don't have an answer. So you can't just narrow that down to one guy. Normally when guys like uh, myself included, you just post up in a corner somewhere. You don't really dance because it's so much attention on you anyway, especially now with cell phones. Because, you know, a lot of times when I've been out the last few years, you got people filming you. That's why you have to be really careful when you're in public. So, but when you're out, you don't want to attract a lot of attention. That's just going to be more people going to bug the hell out of you at the club. Uh, everybody remember the number? 404-987-0330. Chuck's answering machine. Two great calls, man. Thank you for the call. Two great calls. To Dex and to staff, very much, uh, very much appreciated. Chuckster, that's, that's about it. Hey, remember when on these podcast we would have like discussion on hey did you see the last dance last night doesn't that seem like that was years ago now that we that we even had those discussions given what we've had to talk about recently it, it seems like years ago yeah yeah you know golf started today so that that's going to be good news like i say i'm i'm curious and worried about a new round of the virus but i hope at some point we can start playing sports because Man, people are so tired of seriousness. They need a break. They need the escape. Yeah, like you told Don Lemon, and he said it. It's exhausting. We need a break. Yep. That is episode number 21 in the books of The Steam Room, and uh, it is a legal podcast now. 21 in. Chuckster, always good hanging with you, man. All right, my brother. Hey, thanks for everybody who works on the show, and have a great weekend. Talk to you next week. Hey, loyal steamers. TK here. I just want to say thanks again to our friend Stab from Australia for calling in. And most importantly for asking, how can we help? Action can take many forms. If you're interested in donating to an organization committed to affecting change, Warner Media supports the following organizations. Color for Change. National Action Network, National Urban League, NAACP Legal Defense Fund, the National Center for Civil and Human Rights, and Equal Justice Initiative. Thank you again for listening to The Steam Room. See you next week.